Hello, everyone. I'm sorry for the delay in releasing an episode, but I had a busy week. It's my daughter's uh, one week. First of all, this is Jim the Keys bartender. Thank you for listening. Um, my daughter's spring break, and uh, Monday, the wife had her. Tuesday, I decided to take her to, and which she asked to a museum up in. Miami, which we have a lot of material for. And I'll be able to post a picture, maybe some more pictures. I'll post uh, pictures on my Facebook page of our trip to the Patricia and... What's the name of that? Philip and Patricia Frost Museum in Miami. A wonderful museum, but I'll go in more detail. So you heard prior in different uh, podcasts or episodes... That a lot of times, one of the things I miss about the big city is museums and restaurants, you know, the assortment of different ones. You know, we have some small museums down here and stuff like that. But mainly, it's more fishing, diving, sailing, boating, just beautiful outdoor stuff, which there's a lot of stuff in Miami. And... The uh, it's funny with that because when it went out to Miami, we were in some places that looked like they were in some scenes from something about Mary. And so whenever you want to do anything different, you just want to get off the island. It's always a good idea. There's a couple uh, museums in Miami that I'd like to go to. And next month, or I think it's May, they have the Van Gogh, the immersion Van Gogh and experience I think it's called where they're just projecting all these imageries of Van Gogh paintings Van Gogh I had a Dutch a woman who lived in the Netherlands correct me it's Van Gogh and uh, I oh and I also want to say hello to two listeners that have been coming in to the catch and that's Jen and Desiree Desiree and Jen two beautiful women that are staying here for the next couple months and we're happy to have them. I just want them to know I don't really mind them staying late. They always say at the end of the night when I'm wrapping things up and doing things at close that I want them to leave. But I don't want them to leave. I like having them around. So, hello, Desiree. Hello, Jen. You're always welcome. Okay, the trip up to Miami. It's always something. We're on an island. The nice thing about being on this island is we're 25 miles from... And that's, if we're taking where I live right now, I'm about 26 miles from the mainland. Even though the line may start at mile marker 113, maybe 11 miles north. It's all, mainly marshlands once you leave Key Largo proper and cross this bridge called Jewfish Creek Bridge. And you get on the overseas highway going to the mainland. There's about, I guess it starts at 109 over the bridge. And it's about 17 miles through the uh, kind of swampy marshland until we get up to Florida City. And then you got another 20 miles till you hit Miami proper. So a lot of times when you want to do something, it's a day. It's not something you just shoot up for an hour. You can do that, but, you know, you try to make the most of it. So we were doing that. And we get up early. My my daughter was keen on it, which is, I appreciate that because, you know, when your 14-year-old daughter tells you she wants to go to a museum, 
that's just a music to my ears. It's just music to my ears. I love hearing that. And I'm happy to do it. And I like museums myself. So you book, do the normal thing, book tickets online. They have one of those 360 theaters where they do a 20 to 25 minute long. Oh, you may hear that. closely in the background they're fighter jets that fly low and fast over the keys and I I rarely ever get to record that and you may hear you may have heard the jet engine screaming over top I, I have a problem with them flying over land I don't really understand why they would do that because we're just a long thin strip and they can just easily fly right over the water because if there's a malfunction or anything when they're going a couple hundred feet over the land, they have to ditch. They may ditch into a populated area, which you can still, obviously, if you're right, you know, just a mile over, it's easy to recover and they they can just crash into the water. I know they're doing it to protect us and stuff like that, but there's no reason for them to really fly low and fast over land because most of the navigation and stuff like that is done by computers anyway. And I know there's going to be some guy that says, well, we got to do it. But there's a lot of these pilots, they live down here and they like to fly over and give a thrill to their girlfriends or their neighbors and stuff like that. Uh, there's one boat captain that comes in. He's in his 40s and he's always get, he's like a autistic kid or one of his kids with Asperger's syndromes about, you know, maybe with trains. He's he's at one about fighter planes and stuff. He gets all excited. And he's in his mid to late 40s. And he sounds like a 10-year-old when he's talking about it. And says, oh, yeah, he flew his plane over and stuff like that. So, so back to the story. So whenever you're going up to Miami, it's a minimum like an hour and 15 minutes to get there, hour and 20 minutes. And it's funny because they're doing a lot of work on the roads. And you never know what new ramp's going to be opening up. Just like a lot of different cities where they're growing, they're just the highway system is convoluted down here. It's crazy when you get into South Florida. And the driving's pretty aggressive. Pretty, pretty, pretty aggressive. It's like, it's not quite like Le Mans, but you'd be surprised when you're driving up there. And they got the dedicated lanes for people that go to, that have a sun pass, and that's the automated sticker that picks up the tolls and things like that. They have uh, the double line lane. And if you're some pass holder, you're supposed to be able to drive there. I don't know about the charging thing on that because you don't you don't see those registration devices that they use to pick up the sun passes. But you see people crossing those double lines all the time. Solid double lines, which means something. I mean, once you're inside those double lines, it means you're not supposed to come out, but some people use that as an extra lane. And that's part of the thing you get with driving to Miami. On another note, once we got up there and when we came back, holy shit, if you listen to the episode titled Electric Cars or something like that I had about a year and a half ago, and I said there's going to be it's the way to future, and my co-host at the time said, no, it's not going to be as fast. No, it is that fast, at least here in Miami. There are a shitload of Teslas, and I don't know enough of the other cars to pick them up when I'm driving near them. But at one point, we had four cars around us when we pulled off the highway, four Teslas. 
right within visible range. Two in front, one on the side, and one behind us. And they're just all over the place. And there was one of those, my, one of my favorite convenience stores, Wawa. It's from, it grew up around Philadelphia, but they're a convenience store. And they're, they actually personify the word convenience because you can get almost everything there. It's like a tiny grocery store. You can get lunch meat, you can get groceries, you can get even get fresh produce. Yeah, that's convenient, right? You know, 7-Eleven, you can hardly get anything. You can get a can of Hormel chili or something like that. Sorry, 7-Eleven. And you do have the uh, Slurpees. So I guess that's a good thing, too. So we're driving by the Wawa, and they are with the eye to the future, they had an eight bay or eight parking space electric car charging here, and you just see Tesla after Tesla. They're all booked there. And I guess that's travelers coming in. You see it more and more. Obviously, the one, the public's down here, obviously. One you're going to know, obviously. The public's down here. They got about eight charging stations, uh, eight charging areas or places down here. So um, there's. That's very convenient. That's very convenient to have that when you're at the, the Wawa and it's a great business move. But they still have the gas station too, which I think eventually they probably have an eye to eventually reducing the size of the gas station in the future. Because, you know, gas stations you have those environmental rules when you're digging up the tanks. That it makes it very hard for people to convert gas stations to other properties. Depending, you know, depending on how the ground, the tanks around underneath the ground leaked or not. So I'm getting caught up in the minutia. So we're driving up there. We give ourselves an hour and a half because the museums, we leave at 830 and we get up there. And it says it's going to take about an hour and 15 minutes. And it does. But it's funny with Google, they've got these extra lanes opening up. And I kind of made a... I guess I went too far to the left. And I had my daughter doing the navigating, but it wasn't her fault either. And I was wearing my sunglasses. I wasn't looking. I was just telling her to read off to me. And I probably wouldn't even have picked it up either. And I got up earlier, so I had to end up driving a, a little further through Miami. But once you get there, it was great. And the museum, that's what I want to talk about for a little while. It was incredible. So we went to the one of the 360 displays, whatever, they got these uh, three or four different shows they put on, movies. And this one, I picked the one that was narrated by Liam Neeson. It was about Earth. It was more uh, the internal workings of Earth and how the magnetic field protects us from radiation, how the sun protects us, the solar system from... And it's just all a bunch of stuff. But starting from the get-go... The credits, when they open up, right before, there's a four or five minute uh, display before the credits. And that was incredible. That was probably the best part of it. I mean, even though the 20, 25 minute documentary was wonderful, they, the, 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 the lead up to it was fabulous. So we went in there, start, got there early. Another funny thing, I was parking in a parking garage underneath. They got reasonable parking, which is unusual. It was only 15 bucks for, you know, however long you want to stay because you can just park there. And there's a lot of shit you could do down there because there's restaurants and 
It's on the bay. It's a beautiful setting where the museum is. It's right on Miami Harbor or the intercoastal right there. And looking out, the museum is half inside, half out. They have It's an aquarium and a technology museum showing natural sciences, human sciences, engineering, flight, uh, sea life, the aquarium. And some of the aquarium things are displays are inside. They have big tanks and things like that. And they have outside tanks. It's not like a huge aquarium, but it's really fun because you got it outside. They incorporate the inner work is the inside and out. And even at the very top of the museum on the fifth or sixth, sixth floor, they have a solar display and they show you all the different things that can be powered with solar using wind, solar. Uh, they had a, a device where you look through and you pinpoint the, the sun comes through and you can see, look directly at the sun. It's a reflection that posts that flashes in the, inside the device and you can look at the surface of the sun instead of looking at like some some asshole looking directly at the sun. So we were there and it was great. It wasn't a lot of people at the time, but you can see that they had to modify a lot of the displays because the displays had, um, they had more of a please touch museum thing for kids, you know, so we can interact with the exhibits and they had tons of the sanitizing things and wipes and they were pretty good about enforcing people wearing the mask. Very good. I mean, excellent performing the mask. And if you're going to a science museum, it's kind of behooves you to probably be a believer in science or you're just fucking wasting your time. You're thinking, I guess for some people, they're not into science. They think they're going to a magic show. You know? And so... During this, uh, the whole thing, they had to exhibit for, like I said, they had the human body, which is really, really interesting. And they had a gravity one where they had three different chairs. And they show you the difference between gravity on the moon, on Mars, and on Pluto. So on I think on Mars, it was one-third. On the moon, it's one-sixth. And Pluto was one-eighth. And you put on a chair and it has a rope and you can hoist yourself up knowing the differences. This is how you can demonstrably show how much your weight is. You know, So we had all these things and there's kids running around and stuff like that. We had a wonderful time. But there was a section in there which was the engineering and design section. And they had some puzzles and stuff like that. But they also showed the changing technology. They didn't show necessarily new stuff. They just showed the progression of some older things. And they had like toasters, a ticker tape, coffee machines, and things like that. But it was funny... The, the things that probably would really set the kids off, if you put like radios, TVs, uh, phonographs maybe, that they didn't have a Victrola and then a Hi-Fi and stuff like that. And even though some kids know that, my wife, my, well, someone, someone bought my, a uh, friend of my daughter 
bought her a turntable for vinyl. So they know what that is. And I didn't even know till recently that what the microscopic section of the grooves in a record looked like. And that was very interesting. But I don't want to get stuck on it. But it would have been interesting to show the phones. If they had showed the development of phones, what it looked like. And how you would use it. And how would you click the handle. I, I kind of know that. It's funny because if you think about it. 1876, right around 1876 was the development of phone Alexander Graham Bell. The reason I know that is because he displayed it at the Centennial Exhibition in Philadelphia in 1876, the telephone. And they had the two-piece telephone. You had the earpiece and you had the the table, the, the one, the bigger part that was had the microphone and the handle that you you would kind of click to get the operator. So you had that, and that went for, I remember seeing them in movies, and they were using those types of, of phones in, for 50, 60 years. Easy. I mean, they started having the ones that sat in the cradle where you had the headpiece and the microphone attached, like a classic telephone, but they still had a two. A lot of people still had the two-piece phones going into World War II, and that's over sixty years. And then you had the quick progression of phones that went through. They were dial, and then I guess the dial phones came. I I don't know exactly when they came out, but they used to have. The reason they had to have operators is they they used to manually check these wires through there and stuff like that, and. So you would talk to your local operator. They'd get you a national operator, you know, connect you to that. And the national operator would send you to an air, the area code that you needed to go to. And they'd get another operator would hook you up. And it was just, it was, a, it was a circuit built by people hooking you directly into it. They actually plugged in to it. Not nowadays where it's no, people aren't really involved anymore then this is going to get to the second part of the show. I'm going to pause it right now. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Wait, I'm going to pause this one second. Hold on. Oh, you know what's so funny? Because to introduce what the segue was going to be, I was going to call this old-timey man and future girl, how I was trying to explain to my daughter how things used to be. If you ever seen a YouTube video, there's a couple of them out there where they put a old-style rotary phone and hooked it up. I think they could still work. Well, there's no reason why they wouldn't on on there. I think there's no reason why they wouldn't walk to a regular wired line. Is and you'd leave two millennials or sub millennials, whatever they're called now, whatever generation E or generation amoeba or whatever the fuck it is now. But they left the rotary phone. They said, "Listen, you're gonna we'll give you 
you know, this much time, make a phone call or offer them a, a financial benefit for it. And you see these kids kind of acting like monkeys trying to figure out how to use it, you know, hitting not how the rotary phone works. Like you would go to the number and if you had to dial a number, they're not used to dialing the number too much. They, who punches in the number anymore? Normally they'd look it up and they punch it. So sometimes I don't even know how to punch it in digitally. But the, I'd say I'd give them that. But then a rotary phone, just so in case you're listening, in case you're of the generation, if you ever come across that, someone go to someone's grandma's house and you need to make a phone call, you would start with the area code that you want to call. And in Miami's 305, and you would go in three, take it all the way down to the metal, go to the three, pull it to clockwise, all the way down to the metal guard that has a little curve in it. That's where it stops your finger. And then you let it go. And then you go to zero and do the same thing all the way around to the metal guard and let it go. And then you do to five all the way down and let it go. And you do it for each number. I know it sounds like it would take forever to do it, but we used to be able to do it. And then they came out with push buttons. And obviously you should be able to figure out what a push button. But in a lot of these videos, you see these guys, I don't know if they're play acting or anything like that, but they can't figure out how to use it. They don't know what it is. And it's always funny. You see commercials about older people not understanding technology. Right? Well, how about if they came out with a superhero that would show up when you can't understand old technology? Like, oh my God, there's a TV, there's no clicker. And there's... There's no cable. I don't know if I, I, th- I don't know if there's any broadcast signals anymore. If you can get it with an antenna, anyway, I think I think you can television. But imagine that you'd have to go and dial it in. Your know, radios and things like that—they have no idea. Forget about Morse code. You need an old timey man. How about a crank on it to get it to get an engine started? old style car there's a million different things there's a million different things there's like an abacus I don't know if they teach people how to use abacuses anymore or how to add without using a calculator an old timey man would just show up and explain how to do it because we're looking at the toasters and the toasters look kind of convoluted the original first attempt at making an electric toaster Seemed like, why the fuck are you even making it? It had the coils on one side and you lay the toast on either side and it would cook one side and then you'd have to flip, flip it around. Well, you could just do that in a pan. I mean, you never made toast. In a, you can make toast right in a pan. You make grilled cheese. No, I, I never really understood that one, but that would probably give a thing. Or giving anybody, giving someone sometimes a can opener. They don't know how to use a can opener. Uh, use a bottle opener. Well, bottle openers they should be able to use. That's kind of, that technology didn't change. But the telephone, the telephone thing, is just show up when there's a rotary phone and saying, well, how the fuck am I going to call all the cops? How do you get 911 on this thing? I mean, was there a 911 on a rotary call? I don't even know if they had it. They may have had a long number on it at that time, but it would work by dialing 911 if 
the phone. I think the wiring still is the same for a landline phone. And there would be a very, you know, it would be someone like me when you think about that. And it'll come as things go on, as self-driving cars show up, how are people going to be, how they're going to issue a test for driving? What do you need to know if your car is superior to you at everything? Not at the moment, but in a couple of years. And what happens when there's a failure in that technology? When you have to drive yourself. Like using a map. Think about using a map. That was a, use, that was a useful skill. You had to know your directions. You had to know from north, east, south, you know, west. If you're going the wrong direction, you have to, you got to look at the map. It doesn't tell you how far it is. They had a key on the bottom, you know, one inch equals five miles. And so you see that and you see little routes coming off and stuff like that. They do show the routes now, but using a map, very, very tricky. Very tricky for people that don't know what it is. When you would go in and you look up in the big city maps, they'd have a key at the end or at the appendix where you look up the street and have a grid system one side one on the top it would be number I think number up top and letters on the side and it would give you the grid where the street falls in and you look it up and I used to use that all the time when I was delivering pizzas or flowers it was, it was crazy. You have to go and figure out. You, gotta, you get 20 deliveries and you have to think, well, this is here. What's the easiest way to get? And you have to think it in your head. Now they have software apps. I mean, software apps. And this is a old Tommy man screwing up, right? You fucking use it. Software. It's an app or software. But let's say an app. And you put plug in a bunch of addresses and it'll tell you which one's the best. Now, the, the, which route is best? Which one to go to first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And that was, a, that was always the thing that saved you time. You have to think about one-way streets, where to turn. This is a small street. This street at this time is going to be a shitload of traffic. So you had to gauge that stuff in there. How about cooking? Prior microwave. It's funny, that microwave thing I had a problem with uh, right there. I was cooking it was something I had to cook for nine minutes at full uh, power and then half power for 21 minutes. And for years, I would never adjust it. I would just do it on the full power because I really didn't know how to do it or to use the defrosting. How much meat, you know, if it's you're defrosting two pounds of chicken, frozen chicken. And you put that in, you put it in the poultry set, setting, and it does it for however long you're going to do it. Well, I put it in, I put it in for 21 seconds. It's supposed to be 21 minutes at half power. That's why I was gauging my stuff. But the nice thing about this old-timey man, I have my foot in the future, too. Maybe I don't have all the stuff, but I do understand. I'm accepting of the technology. Not a, I'm not a Luddite. A Luddite is someone who harkens back to old times and say, well... You don't need anything new for this. This is perfect. 
You don't have to prove on this. And you would say that if you're a dirigible pilot, you know, like a Zeppelin pilot. Oh, well, you don't need an airplane. We got Zeppelins. They're great. They go up to 60, 70 miles an hour. You know, but you got to be careful, you know, that it doesn't blow up because we do have explosive gas in sea and we can only carry so much. And, you know, if it's windy, oh, fuck, man, you're going to have a hard time landing this sucker. You know, because it's, we're big. You know, they said that about that. They said it about, uh, well, not the telegraph. The telegraph was there, but the, when the telephone, people say, well, telephone, I don't see how that's going to be useful. Who are you going to call? There's no one else has a time. Well, eventually, it's just like, just like they said about electric cars. Where you, where are you going to plug it in? How are you going to go? How are you going to go across country? Well, now they're over 300, 300 miles or on their way to 500 miles. The charge that's a pretty much like a gas. That's a tank of gas, and they're getting the the full charge in under 30 minutes. And you know, I'll tell you, that's going to drop too. So it's and it's happening. I saw it, I saw it on display there. That's just one of those things. But then every so often there's going to be something where you need someone that knows how to work this. Like what the fuck is it for navigating? Oh my god, a sextant. A sextant. You need to get a map of the stars and a map, and you have to find out what the position of this star is at this time at this place. And you get the azimuth, you get the height. And you could tell where you are. And then people knew how, um, that's how they used to navigate. And then they, when long range radio signal came about, they had Loran. And Loran, you just get different signals coming from different antennas. And the intersection of those signals would be uh, the cross section of there to be three signals. And inside that would be your position wherever they intersect. You write down the signal and the strength and you draw the line and that's where it would be. Now they have GPS would tell you exactly where it is because you have geosyncratic orbital satellites that give you constantly in contact where you are, any place in the world, within 10 meters. But what happened if there was a solar flare or something that occurred, then just wiped out the satellites. And there's no radar. So then you'd have to navigate using a sextant. How many people know how to use a sextant? You know, how about if we had to go, remember in Independence Day, the movie with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, where they had to send us a message that the aliens couldn't pick up. So they use Morse code, which isn't, they wouldn't have a problem. It's not hard. It's not a hard code to crack, Morse code. But I guess they weren't looking for Morse code. That made me think, you know, if someone, someone just said a, a standard Morse code signal to s- someone, they would crack it like that. But you'd need old timey man to show up to be able to read the signal, right? Because who knows that? Or semaphore. Semaphore was the one holding flags. They signal ship to ship. There's all sorts of old Tommy Man. Old Tommy Man would have to 
if you had to replace a tube in a television. Years ago, they used to have this little device or little device, big device. It looked like a lectern, a podium, but it was for testing tubes for radios and televisions. And people would take them into their hardware stores and they plug the tube in to see if it was good. And if you knew if it wasn't giving the right reading, they know they had to buy a new tube and they go and replace it. And then people used to do that shit all the time. I mean, there's still people that work on their cars and know how to do shit on their cars nowadays, even with the modern cars. I was able to change a light and change a, a belt, one of these accessory belts in my last vehicle. I don't know if we do it in this one, the current one I just bought. But there's a lot of things that can. I don't want to mess with oil. I hate having to reset the tire pressure monitor system because you got to hit the button, release the air at the same time to make sure it's gauged right. So, old-timey man, that would be like a 21st century thing. I'll show you, I'll show you how to make bread from grinding wheat and using you know all sorts of things. You have old-timey woman, too, having to churn butter. I mean, some people, survivalists, know how to do shit like that. But it doesn't. And years ago, like I said, everyone used to be, when I was in my high school year, my last year of high school, I needed to, I had some problem with my car. It was kind of puttering out. My dad gave me a little kit to rebuild my distributor. And we just go in and you get a little Chilton's manual, open it up, and you fucking get that. All right? You open up and tell you how to do it. You rebuild, soak all the parts, put it back. Well, it's almost time to end of this. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'd like to thank all the visitors that are down here. We are doing great down here. Almost, we are at capacity. You, I'm, I'm sorry, the prices aren't normally like this down here. You see the hotel rooms are expensive. They will slow down. So remember, we're still a great place to go. So when it eventually drops off here, you'll see it in the pricing. And if you're watching your budget, that's the time to come down too. I'm not telling people not to come down in busy season. We just like the idea of keeping as many people down here as possible. That drives our business. I know the locals, some of the locals that aren't in the business don't like it, but I love it. And if you are in Key Largo at mile marker 102 Oceanside, please come to the Catch Restaurant and Bar. They're open for lunch and dinner Monday through Sunday, every day of the week. And they have great specials for lunch and dinner. Monday through Friday, they have a happy hour from 3.30 to 6.30 with great prices on food and drink. And on Saturday night, you usually have live entertainment. So if you're in Key Largo, near mile marker 102, Oceanside, stop in, tell them the Keys bartender sent you. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions, please send me an email at jim at keysbartender.com. Thank you very much and have a great day. Let me put some music on for you. Do you like this?